I just have to say, I am so filled with joy right now. And it's not because life is going perfectly. It's not because everything is smooth sailing, pun intended given the sermon series we're in. You know why I'm filled with joy? It's because our amazing God, the great I am, is present with us in this moment. Think about that for just a second. God Almighty is here with us. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are so, so good to us. And we thank you for your presence here today. Father, as we come to your word today, each of us comes with a heart that's in a different place. Some are full of joy, life is going well. Others are struggling, Lord, and in the midst of a storm. And I pray that as we read this story about Peter, and as we um, dig into it a little bit more, that we'll see more of the truth of who you are. Father, as we study your word, would you illuminate it for us by your spirit? May we not leave this place the same, but be transformed by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm just going to rearrange a little bit here. If only this podium was just a little bit longer. Anyways, as many of you know, we are working through a sermon series about the different storms in the Bible. And as we just read, today we'll be looking at this uh, example of Peter and Jesus. And we'll take a look at what God is up to in the middle of the chaos and I have to tell you, this story is one of my favorite in the entire Bible. There's so much in it that I relate to. Um, you may or may not know this part of my story, but I didn't grow up in the church. And my family certainly good moral people. But just going to church wasn't something that we did. It wasn't a part of our regular lives. And after being invited to youth group one time, and becoming a regular attender because of a cute boy um, who actually didn't end up staying, I eventually was presented with the good news of Jesus. And I thought that following him sounded pretty great. Don't get me wrong, it was. It is. In fact, it's the best decision I've ever made in my life, and I wouldn't change it for a second. But in my 17-year-old brain... I just had this idea. It seemed as though that all I had to do was utter the words of a simple prayer, and then life would be easier, right? I think most of us know that's not exactly how it works. The hard truth is that in giving our lives to follow Jesus, there is no guarantee that we will be spared adversity. But as one commentator says, if we are in the will of the Lord... We are under the, look, the care of the Lord. I've been through my share of storms in life, 
And I actually want to start by sharing a bit of a testimony. Um, it's just a story about one instance where his hand was so evident in my rescue. By the way, I think it's very important, vitally so, that we share our God stories. And that's for a, multiple, a multitude of reasons. As some of you know, in 2012, my family was really excited because we were expecting our third baby. And we were devastated when we lost that baby to miscarriage. And the time that followed that was filled with grief and lots of questions. So when we got pregnant a fourth time, it was, we were still excited, but it was also filled with a little bit of anxiety, and we were a little more cautious in our excitement. At 32 weeks gestation, my water broke. I guess you could say it was a flood of a different sort. And... Um, even though I knew that babies could be born weeks earlier and still survive, I also knew that sometimes they didn't. And sometimes they're born with a long list of health problems when they're born too soon. But by the grace of God, we were able to keep that baby inside for an extra two weeks. And also by the grace of God, our NICU stay was only about nine days. And though we were able to bring our baby home, and the, store, the storm died down significantly for a few hours. The winds picked up again fiercely the very next day. My mom had come from BC. She was going to help us out with the kids and help us with this new baby. But then we received an emergency call from my brother in BC. My sister-in-law had collapsed at work. And things were not looking good. She was hooked up to life support, and everything was hanging in the balance. My mom had to beeline it back home because my brother and his kids needed her help more than we did. My older girls were at school. My husband flew out the door, almost literally, to take my mom to the airport. And there I was, by myself with this teeny little baby who wasn't quite out of the woods yet. Three days later, my sister-in-law was taken off life support, and she passed away. I forgot to mention, in the midst of all this, I'd been diagnosed with a blood clot in my lung. It was the first time I'd been faced with my own mortality, and I was supposed to avoid stress as much as possible. Yeah, right. In the beginning of the storm, I had lots of faith, like Peter. I had hope, I had faith, and I was pretty sure that things would be okay, and I was okay. I was okay, too. But as the wind and the waves picked up and the storm grew more intense, I became overwhelmed, and I felt like I was drowning. When I called for help, Jesus didn't come to me on water, but Pastor Tom came in a Corolla, I just a little bit, just to lighten an intense story, but in all seriousness, sometimes God's rescue comes in the form of other people. Sometimes he works through the hands and feet of others. Pastor Tom sat with me, read some com comforting scripture, and he prayed with me. People from the church brought meals and helped with our kids. 
neighbors and parents from our school community also pitched in. We were blown away at the kindness of so many. And because all this happened so close to Christmas, one kind small group put together a Christmas hamper for us, realizing that our ability to shop for ourselves was almost nil. God's hand reached out through these people again and again and again. And that's how we weathered the storm. And that's how we were brought safely to the other side. So no, we were not spared adversity. But the Lord was with us the entire time. He was with me the entire time. And the whole experience brought me to a place of trusting him a little bit more, which in turn deepened my relationship with him. And as an aside, that little baby is now in grade three and thriving. Thanks be to God. Haven't we all had storms in life? Or maybe we're in the midst of one right now. If you take a look at this week's bulletin, you'll see a list of people going through some pretty challenging times. Maybe your storm is a frightening diagnosis. Maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe COVID hit your workplace and you've lost your job. Have addictions or mental health issues left you feeling like the waves are crashing in on you? Whatever it is, my friend, the Lord is near to all who call on his name. This has been the case throughout history. And in the biblical narrative, God demonstrates rescue repeatedly. Today's story of Matthew is just one more example. Let's take a closer look and see what kind of insight we can gain from it. And I know that this story of Jesus walking on the water is pretty familiar to a lot of you. It comes just after an incredible scene where Jesus has miraculously fed a crowd of over 5,000 people with two small fish and five loaves. The crowd was big because word was spreading about this Jesus. Many people were wondering just who he was. After all, he was healing the sick and he was casting out demons. So the people were gathering around Jesus that day. They were all looking for something, physical healing. Uh, Maybe it was inner healing. And many had come because they were looking for a king to free them from Roman oppression. And they were hoping Jesus might be the one. Though the disciples had been with him for a while, they still didn't fully grasp his identity. In fact, in Mark 6.52, it says, we're told that they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. When we fast forward to Matthew 14.22, it says, immediately Jesus, and this is just following that scene, by the way, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowd. This doesn't appear to be a request. It's, in a, it's a command, and it came with a sense of urgency. Why do you suppose that is? The most plausible answer I could find is that the crowd of needy people was starting to press in on Jesus. And as their excitement grew over the thought that they might have found political deliverance in this person before them, the disciples were not slow to share in their enthusiasm, as commentator R.T. France writes. 
And so he goes on to say, Jesus found it necessary to isolate them quickly, as quickly as possible from the seductive movement, which ran counter to his messianic agenda. According to verse 23, next Jesus went up to, on the mountainside by himself to pray. The sentence might be glossed over, easily dismissed. I mean, it's Jesus, and prayer is a pretty Jesus-y thing to do. But notice the through the night, and he was alone. In the NIV translation that we just read, it says it was almost dawn before he leaves that place. And if we look at other translations, we're told it was the third or fourth watch, which is around three in the morning. So Jesus has spent hours in prayer, not unusual for him. Throughout the New Testament, we see at least six reasons that he engages so deeply in this, in this practice. Usually it was to prepare for a major task, to recharge after hard work. It could have been to work through grief before making a major decision, like when he was selecting the disciples in times of distress, or simply to focus on communion with the Father. And in this case that we're reading today, it's quite likely ministering to a crowd of over 5,000 people had tired him. He was fully human and fully divine. Surely he needed to rest and recharge, but as we find out, another miraculous scene was about to unfold. So this time of prayer was also a time of preparation. Three of the four Gospels record this story, and we gain a different perspective or insight from each one. What is consistent is that the disciples had been sent out alone, hours before Jesus was. What's also consistent is that by the time that Jesus went out to them, the disciples were a fair way out, already a considerable distance from land, according to Matthew. The boat was in the middle of the lake, according to Mark. And they had rowed about three or four miles, according to John. The specificity in John's account might not seem like the disciples had made much headway, considering how much time had passed. But we also know that this journey was not a smooth one. Matthew notes the boat was buffeted by waves. John tells us the strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. What I find interesting about Mark's account is his comment that Jesus can actually see all this happening. In chapter 6, verse 48, it says, He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. The Greek word translated here as straining is translated in other places of the Bible as torment. Can you imagine rowing that intensely for hours? It would have been excruciating. When I read this story and I imagine myself in it as one of the disciples, I must confess questions arise. Lord, where are you? Why did you desert us? And the same painful questions might arise in our storms of life. Of course, the disciples didn't necessarily know that Jesus had been keeping an eye on them. As readers of the story, though, we know. Doesn't it make you wonder why he let them struggle for so long? I can't suppose to know the mind of God, but I do know this. When I struggle and strain independent of him, 
I usually end up exhausted, depleted, and weak. Being in this state is incredibly humbling as we recognize our limitations and come to the realization that there are things we cannot do on our own. But there's more. In Matthew 14, 25 and 26, it goes on to say, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Well, there are skeptics that claim this wasn't a literal miracle. Some have said that due to the mist, it could have been some kind of optical illusion. Others have suggested that maybe there was a hidden sandbar that made it look as though Jesus was walking on water. I, however, believe that this is a bona fide miracle. The disciples were mostly experienced fishermen. They would have known the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hands. If there was a sandbar, they would have known about it. But let's not miss the fact that they don't recognize this figure as Jesus. So here, these pained, exhausted, terrified disciples, they're sitting there trying to figure out what's going on. Imagine what it would have been like to have been in that boat. And then comes the climax of the story. Verse 27. But, it, but Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. As you know, there are more miracles coming along as the story progresses. And they're incredible testaments of God's power. Some might even say that I've got this climax wrong. But I don't think so. And here's why. The Greek translated, it is I, is ego imi. It could also be translated as, I am. Does that sound familiar? Jesus is using Old Testament language as divine self-revelation. In other words, he is using the very name of God in reference to himself because he is God and he can. Listen to Exodus 3.14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am is God's name. Jesus is outright telling the disciples who he is. Because even after witnessing miracle after miracle, including the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water, they still didn't get it. The climax of the story out of love is that God showed up. However, even then, the disciples weren't sure. Peter, a bit more daring than the others, in verse 28, he pipes up and he says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on water. And Jesus issues the invitation, the same one he extends to you. Come. You already know what happens next. Peter gets out of the boat and amazingly walks on the water towards Jesus. And I want to be very, very clear about something here. This is something we sometimes misunderstand. P 
Peter was not able to walk on the water because he was able to muster up enough faith on his own. How much is enough anyways? And how would we even measure that? Peter was able to walk on water because his faith was enabled by the Lord's command. As another commentator, Frederick Dale Bruner, puts it, to the believing one, Jesus gives a share of his power. To the believing one, Jesus gives a share of his power. But when Peter looked at life's reality, the fierce wind and the storm that was gaining momentum, we're told in verse 30, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. True to character, Jesus has mercy on Peter. He reaches out with his strong hands and comes to the rescue. And the final miracle, when they, meaning Jesus and Peter, climbed into the boat, what happens? The wind died down. It was the presence of God that made that happen. Even earthly elements, like the waves and the winds, obey him. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is a first-time declaration for them. Boring another Brunner phrase, even empowered disciples can sink. The point is, none of us can sustain faith on our own. We all oscillate between strong disciple and doubtful sinner. And we need the presence of I am if we are safely to make it to the other side of the lake. Because his presence equals power. Is there a storm raging in your life? If so, the challenge is to keep your eyes on Jesus, not the winds of the world. Because let me tell you, the winds of the world lie and mislead you. Instead, you cry out to Jesus, and you cling to him with everything you've got. He's ready and waiting On the other hand, if life is going well for you right now and the waters of your life are calm, consider that God might want to use you as a means of showing up for someone else, much like people did for me and my family when we needed help. Ask him to show you someone in need and then go and be love in action. Life is a journey. It's full of ups and downs. Day after day, winds and waves buffet us, just like they did that the boat on, uh, just like they did against the boat that the disciples were in. The next time a storm comes your way, imagine what a difference it would make to know that I am was present. How would it change things to know that God Himself showed up for you? This is the insurance you can have if you put your trust in Jesus. If you've not yet confessed like the disciples did in the boat that day, truly you are the son of God. Maybe today is the day. Come find me after the service. Or we'll have a prayer team over to the side here who'll be waiting and would love to talk to you. 
I just want to invite the worship team to come back up. I'll just give them a moment. Brothers and sisters, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, whether you are strong in faith, struggling, wherever you're at, his love for you is infinitely more than you could ever imagine. Would you pray with me? Sovereign great I am. We are amazed by you. I just thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for coming to us in the midst of our storms of life. Lord, you are faithful. You are good. And we're grateful. Lord, thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. May that be a source of strength for us and comfort. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name.